think especially with like Karen Poole and uh, Kathy Dennis, where they had such influence on the sounds and textures and tones of Kylie and Britney that yeah. when you listen to it now, you can hear that additional like kind of creating that neutral bet, creating that yeah. extra level that they can these vocals can stand on. Yeah. Welcome to the Original Dial, where I unpackage music with the people who created it and all for charity. For more information, visit me at www.theoriginaldial.com. A big shout out to my Patreon patrons. Thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate that. And as with every episode of The Original Dial, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you do in fact see any snippets released online, please report those to the webmaster. Now, on with the show. Chocolate, Kylie Minogue. Back in 2004, it would go number two in Belgium and Romania, number three in the Netherlands, number six in the UK, number seven in Hungary, and number 10 in Scotland. Additionally, just in the past five years, Chocolate, the emo dub, has charted in four different iTunes charts since 2019, and the emo mix has charted in three different countries, including just in February of 2023, number four on the dance iTunes charts in Kazakhstan. And... The radio edit would ultimately chart in four different countries on iTunes in the past three years, going and peaking at number seven in Peru. I bring these up to show that not only did this song chart back in 2004 when it was released as a single, but almost 20 years later, it is still charting. That is the testament of Kylie Minogue and producer, our guest today, Johnny Douglas. Let's hop to Chocolate. Tony from Italy said, love chocolate. How did that create it? And... What happened with Ludacris? A lot of people think Kylie pulled the plug on this being a rap one. We have another one from, where is that? Ashleen. I'm sorry, Ashleen, if I pronounced your name wrong. Ashleen said, how early on did you know that Chocolate was going to be the follow-up single to your own Red-Blooded Woman? Um, well, I knew I knew it was going to be the third single, but not like, like way after it was done. Um, it wasn't like single book. <laughs> I I knew what the symbols were going to be, etc. I just I just knew slow was going to be the first one. I didn't even know I had the second or third one. Wow. Uh, so chocolate. Um, yeah, the plug, the plug was pulled on the on the ludicrous thing. It was kind of a it was kind of a strange one because there was a at this point there still is there's a a Kylie forum. I made the classic mistake of discovering, and me and me and Kylie, everybody in the studio, kind of got addicted to reading it whilst we were making the record. <laughs> and, uh, I don't, I don't know how people find out this stuff, but they'd found out that you know there was going to be more, um, you know have R&B style influences and stuff kind of on there or hip hop whatever you want to call it and there was a lot of outrage there was a lot of like you know like people absolutely hating me and I'm kind of like hey it's like 
this isn't my idea. I'm just doing what people want me to do. And kind of what happened was, was kind of back then when I used to do a demo, if I, there wasn't a lot of rappers in the UK then at the time. But if I, I'd always imagine who my dream artist would kind of be. And back then it was, especially it's very unbroke to have like a feature, to have somebody featured. And I was like a massive ludicrous fan. So what I used to do is I had some like deep, like so I used to DJ, so I had some DJ decks set up. I used to just cut and scratch sometimes. And I'd cut in the ludicrous rap off. I remember what, what record it was, but I kind of cut it in. It was just this, his flow on the track just sounded so good. Bobby's from, I can't even remember which one it was, to be honest. It was, it was just an acapella or something, and I just scratched it in, just just literally for the demo. And it was always kind of like a pointer of kind of what I kind of envisaged the finished product kind of being. And the record label were kind of like, "Well, let's get let's let's get him on it." And I'm like, "Wow, really?" And they're like, "Yeah." So like, Luda kind of did his thing. We get this thing back. By this point, I'd kind of got used to the one that I kind of cut in. But mm-hmm. so I had to kind of get used to, to Linda's new kind of rap. Um, I was I was mad excited because, like, you know, like American kind of hip hop artists, especially at that time, I was so influenced by it. I just wasn't making a lot of it because American record labels saw me as being, you know, very white and very English and that I should be making Coldplay records and that's it. And I'm not allowed to step into that kind of arena. And so I was really excited to kind of have him kind of on it, but there was such, but then the fans kind of found out that Ludacris was going to be on it. And there was such a, there was such this outrage, like this anger that, you know, Kylie was going to go down this kind of route and nobody had even heard anything. And I think the pressure built so much that then when I was in Spain, I then got told that we were dropping Ludacris off it. And I was like, oh, shh. Because then we've got a big gap in the record. Because Karen wasn't there. Karen Paul, Karen Paul wasn't there. I'm kind of in Spain. I've got to record this vocal. We've got a big 8 bar, 16 bar gap. We've nothing to fill it. So I had to kind of write the just one kiss, but I let me down. I had to write that whole bit, like on the spot. I had to write the lyrics in the studio. kind of make it up just so we could create something to, to take the place of Ludacris being taken off it. And I was quite, I was quite kind of gutted because I, you know, I really wanted to get like loads of like American rapper credits and I was never allowed to say it was like, this was like, yeah, and this is fucking cool. And it's like, oh, we've got to take it off. 
And um, you know, I just kind of thought it'd be an interesting, an interesting mix. But um, yeah, it wasn't to it wasn't to be. If you want to hear the ludicrous part where we break it down, myself and Johnny, you can actually find it on my Patreon, www.theoriginaldoll.com. A pop-up will pop up, and just join it there. And it's for the levels that lucky and above, so two ninety-nine a month. And remember, your support actually keeps this, the original Dow James Rodriguez, up and running. So thank you so much. But we're going to finish with our chocolate discussion now. So basically, it came down to the fan base found out that he was going to be on there, and they basically <laughs> let the world know that they didn't want that. Yeah, he was. Uh, and like, so they had nothing to do with Kylie or Ludacris. No, I, th I think I think it was probably. I mean, I don't know who buckled under the pressure, but I got a funny feeling that Kylie buckled under the pressure because she mm. was reading it with me. We're both sitting on the server, obsessed with what people are saying about us. You know what I mean? So there were so many people just chinning and moaning. They hadn't even heard it, but I think it was the idea that Kylie was going to go down this kind of Americanized, featured rappers kind of kind of route. I think I think there's I think there's loads of reasons why people are kind of would would have been against something like stuff. I think there's a certain part of of Kylie's fan base, especially amongst amongst the kind of you know her gay fan base. I think I, I think there'd been so much kind of misogyny and homophobia in kind of hip hop that the idea mm -hmm. that Kylie would be deserting them to to start playing around with people that was in that world would have probably seemed like a big betrayal and mm -hmm. i never i always saw ludicrous as um a kind of very commercialized kind of mc so i never really saw ludicrous as, as being a guy who kind of put out stuff that had objection objectionable i can say uh, lyrics yeah and you know, it's not like she was working with like like Beanie Man or some kind of dance hall kind of, you know, kind of kill all gay people kind of it was, it was, you know, it was on the high, it was on the more commercial end of hip hop, which is why I scratched in Ludacris's rap in the first place. And rather than someone that had those kinds of, you know, limited, stunted views, if you know what I mean. I do think it's interesting because if Kylie Minogue is looking and thinking that this group of people are her entire fan base and they don't yeah. want it, of course, you'd be like, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't do this. So it had nothing to do with yeah. her liking it. It had everything to do with the reaction so far was not good for a project that wasn't even released yet. Yeah, it was like this somehow everybody had kind of heard about it that was, that was on these forums and it was like a, it was like a hot topic kind of point it was there was definitely lots of kill johnny douglas kind of like shit you know what i mean like I, like i was the antichrist of can monog production we have more with johnny douglas coming very soon so don't forget to subscribe now we are on to our b-side which is deep in my heart britney spears for those who don't know i've been able to interview jive records steve lunt and our guy for britney spears for from the developing the signing of Britney Spears all the way through be in the mix the remixes album and for those who might not know what and is basically in the way that I use to you know 
choose the words to describe it is he helped orchestrate and put together these albums. So if a song was seriously being considered for a an album, Steve would have known about it. He was the one who was figuring out the sequencing, things like that, um, figuring out which producers would ultimately go well with the direction Britney Spears was going and so much more. This is just my general um, definition of it. But when you look at those songs from the first several albums, you'll see that when we've talked about some of those episodes before with some of the songs and the future ones, there are stories behind almost every song that Britney Spears recorded. And we even talked about some songs that didn't make the album. And now we are going to continue our B-side conversation. And this is Deep in My Heart with Britney Spears' A&R guy, Steve Lunt. All right, everyone, I'd like to welcome you back to the original doll. And today we're going to be talking about a song that is loved by many people called Deep in My Heart. And who better to talk about this than somebody who's deep in my heart? Steve Lund. <laughs> Thank you for being here today. <laughs> well, you're welcome. I'm, I'm flattered. In fact, I have a tear in my eye. <laughs> a tear like, how long do I have to talk to him? Um, <laughs> uh, but what's been great, Steve, is you've been, you've been able to open the door and allow us as the listeners and fans of, of Britney's music to revisit these songs. And there are so many songs that don't get talked about. I think in general, we tend to do a retrospective and go like, if it were Britney, it would be like, here's baby from the first album. Now let's talk about stronger or something from the second album. But there are so many great songs and great reasons why songs are picked. Now, for those who don't know, Deep in My Heart was released on different versions of the Baby album worldwide and as a B-side to Oops, I Did It Again. So I want you, Steve, to talk to us about why it didn't make the album in the United States. Why did everyone else get it? 
why are they lucky? Why are we not? Why are they lucky? Because she's a star. <laughs> um, and and what is the benefit of B-sides? Do you know what they're going to be? Why create a B-side? All that stuff. So let's let's take it back to that. Deep in my heart was... Yep. Okay. Well, to take up your last point first, um, no, you don't record things knowing they're going to be B-sides. You, you, Every writer and every producer... Um, goes into the studio thinking that what they're writing and recording is is a smash single, um, which is how they, they should do. You have to aim for the stars. You know, if you were, you know, if you want to, what's the old saying? Um, you know, if you want to fly like an eagle, hang to is that's kind of kind of what, what it is here. Like you know, the the best uh, arrangers, producers, writers are always going for that hit single. So, uh, what ends up being a good album track in their mind, it's single when they recorded it and wrote it, which is how it should be. Um, with Deep in My Heart, that was the fourth song that Britney recorded when we went over to Sweden. And I think, I mean, I can tell you why it wasn't a, a, on the album in, in the US is because it just felt very European, overly European, overtly European not in the same way that Baby One More Time or sometimes felt European and they felt like totally acceptable in the States. Uh, it's difficult to explain, but it's a musical thing. You feel like um, there's a groove element to those songs that, that worked in America but didn't. Uh, but I think Deep in Your Heart had, had this European groove to it. You can tell from the keyboard pattern in the intro. Um, and it just feels like a dance record from Europe. It's a it's a really good song, and and maybe with a different arrangement, it might have it might have worked for America. Um, Pear and David, who produced that, um, are really really good, um, and I'm not knocking their production at all. It's just stylistically didn't really fit into the American way of doing things. And for me, being an Englishman who is working in America, I could kind of feel the difference. It's one of my one of the qualities I thought I could bring to Jive when they hired me, they they hired me because because I was English and I knew the English music scene and the European music scene uh, stylistically from a writing point of view and an artist's point of view. So when I came to America, I could I could feel the difference between the two. Not a lot of people at that point could do that. So it was something in my favor. And that was I definitely felt that to be true with deep in my heart. And as I've told you before that Jive Records, once you've recorded something, no good song goes to waste. It's not going to just, you know, we say, ah, oh, it's not right for America, let's you know, throw it on the fire. That doesn't happen. So, so it worked as a, as a, as a cut for, for the European market. So another question was, Deep in My Heart was used as a B-side to Oops, I Did It Again, the single. Now, many people were asking, why would you use that song instead of putting it another new song as a B-side. Secondly is, was there ever any in-depth talk about going, oh, it makes sense to do this B-side because it's the opposite of side A? Like, is there ever that thought or is it you want it to be complementary of side A? Uh, there was no real deep conversation about about the, uh, you know, lyrical aspect of something, you know, like an, and the, the deeper meanings about things, 
you know, going there. That basically we had a we had a song that was real quality that wasn't on the album, and it was value added to the person who was going to f- buy the physical single. You know, of uh, of oops, you know, the, to know that they were getting a, another song on the B side, it just added that extra incentive for people who had the album. You know, to have an unreleased song, previously unreleased song, I guess, or kind of unreleased song. <laughs> Yeah, at least well, in America. Oh yeah, well, and that's the other thing too is I think in general, you know, I don't think it would have made sense to give two Britney songs for the price of one. If you, that's what I was thinking, like if we're anticipating what is that sophomore album going to be, it would not have made any sense. It would not behoove Jive or Britney to have put Oops and then like Lucky as the B side. Like that would not. I think people would have devoured it too much ago. Or if the second song was on the new album that they just didn't like, that could have hurt the projection of that where that album went. That's the way I always think of it. Like, you don't want to give too much away when you're at the time trying to push album sales because that's where we were at leading up to 2000, pushing the album sales more than the single sales. But I think people, you know, who don't who weren't around at the time when when singles were a physical entity and there were a B side, tend to not really understand the, the value of B-sides. The value of a B-side on the rec- on the record was you got this extra song, you 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 physically bought the single with with the hit on that you wanted, oops, and then on the B-side you got another song. So the idea was to, you don't want it to be a song, obviously, because you don't want to turn people off, but you don't want it to be like your next single or you don't want it to be like a really great album track on there. You just want to kind of you want to give value added without giving too much away, without giving the store away. And in this case, you know, it had, it had been a, on the European albums, I, I believe, you know, as a, as a single. So it had never really been on, you know, released in America. So for American audiences, it was a new track. Um, so it was the perfect B-side in that case. There you go. Now, everyone, have no fear. We have more with Steve coming up very, very soon. We're going to be going through, we've pretty much talked about almost every song that she worked on and and you as the orchestrator of these albums, which has been great. So, everyone, here is Deep in My Heart, Britney Spears. Steve, thank you for being here today. Thank you. My pleasure. Oh, I want you for the rest of my life. And for the last part of this episode... We have Alan, who's going to be translating in Portuguese the section that we just talked about specifically with Britney Spears. And as most of you know, we might be going back through some older episodes and re-uploading them with some content for our Portuguese listeners. So here it is. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and subscribe to get notified right away. As soon as I am given the all clear to release episodes, that's when I release them. So my name is James Rodriguez. This is the Original Dow. Sejam todos bem-vindos ao Original Doll com James Rodrigues. Eu sou a Lama Gabeira do Britain Online Brasil e estou traduzindo nesse episódio aqui a entrevista que o James fez com o Steve Lantz. Para quem não conhece o Steve Lantz, ele foi o A&R da Britain, o representante artístico da Britain, pela Jive Records, nos principais álbuns que ela lançou, principalmente do começo da carreira até o Bean The Mix. Steve ajudou a montar muito desses primeiros álbuns para Spears, não só os álbuns, mas toda a representatividade artística dela. Então, para quem está chegando agora e quer entender um pouco mais sobre quem ele é, basta ouvir o episódio de Bored Make You Happy 
The Bonus Remix, aqui do Original Doll, nessa mesma plataforma que você tá me ouvindo agora. Só espera esse acabar, porque aqui tem algumas curiosidades que eu acho que você vai querer ouvir. Bom, como vocês já devem estar por dentro, este podcast ele é filantrópico. Por isso, em todos os episódios é terminantemente proibido que você rip, compartilhe, copie áudios sem autorização de tudo que a gente está dizendo aqui, tá? Se você vir algo por aí que não está na nossa conta oficial, denuncie ao Webmaster, ao James, entre em contato com o podcast. Porque essa é uma forma que a gente tem de manter as doações chegando, já que este programa retribui com caridade. Tem sempre pergunta de que forma? Bom, a cada pergunta que o um convidado responde, recebemos um item doado para ajudar indivíduos LGBTQIA+, e pessoas em situação de risco. E lembre-se, sempre que alguém ouvir esse podcast através do Apple Podcasts, uma instituição de caridade receberá um item doado, não só uma pessoa, uma instituição, para ajudar as pessoas dessa instituição e as pessoas, obviamente, que a instituição ajuda, né? Como mulheres uh, e seus filhos em abrigos para vítimas de violência doméstica. Então, galera, o assunto é sério. Na entrevista que você acabou de ouvir em inglês com o James entrevistando Steve, descobrimos que a música Deep in My Heart, de Britney Spears, foi a quarta música que Britney gravou durante sua primeira viagem à Suécia no ano de 1998. Ela foi lá com a Felicia, enfim, vocês devem lembrar disso aí. A faixa, inclusive, foi gravada antes mesmo de Baby One More Time, no final de abril daquele ano. E, consequentemente, também antes de Born to Make Happy, que é o episódio, o último episódio, né, que falamos aqui sobre o trabalho de nossa diva Britney. E escuta lá para saber quando que foi Born to Make Happy, tá? Civilante nos disse algumas coisas interessantes na conversa que ele teve com James Rodrigues, eu vou resumir aqui para você. A primeira delas é que era uma regra na Jive Records que qualquer música que Britney Spears gravasse e que fosse considerada minimamente boa, ela não poderia ser desperdiçada. E que a gravadora guardaria para ser colocada em um CD, em um álbum, em um single, um B-side, em algum momento da carreira de Britney. Então, se a música não chegasse à edição naquele momento ali, quando o Baby More Time estava sendo gravado, se a música não chegasse à edição padrão do álbum no Z, nos Estados Unidos, uh, do Baby especificamente, ela poderia ser usada como um B-side para algum single daquele mesmo álbum. No caso de Deep in My Heart, ela virou um single do álbum Oops. No caso, um B-side do single de Oops. E a gente vai entender por quê. Bom, Steve disse o seguinte, nenhuma música boa na voz de Britney Spears é desperdiçada. Ele explicou que Deep in My Heart foi incluída nas versões internacionais do álbum Baby, inclusive nada aqui do Brasil, viu gente? Porque soava muito europeia para os Estados Unidos. Não da mesma forma que Baby One More Time suava europeia, porque também suava, afinal de contas ela foi feita inspirada ali, né, pelo Max Martin, inspirada na sonoridade da Europa, lá na Suécia. Bom, e aí a Jive sabia que os ouvintes internacionais, com a toda bagagem que a Jive já tinha, dos Backstreet Boys and Sync, eles sabiam que os ouvintes internacionais adorariam o som de Deep in My Heart, e por isso resolveram lançar a faixa no álbum Baby versão internacional. James perguntou uma coisa que todos nós queríamos saber e muito estranho até hoje. E era disso que eu estava falando antes. Por que, que a faixa que já foi lançada no Baby no mundo quase todo foi incluída no single de Oops? Uma vez que esse single também circulou o mundo 
tudo bem, vai, não saiu aqui no Brasil single físico nas lojas para a gente comprar. Mas vocês entenderam. Bom, Steve disse que a música foi incluída no single de Ups físico ali, o CD mesmo, porque os Estados Unidos e alguns países não conseguiram ouvir a música. A internet não era como era hoje, obviamente. Então, quando ela foi lançada em 1999 no álbum de Baby More Time, eles pensaram que eles poderiam, sim, lançar a música como um single do Ups, um B-side no caso, e aí os ouvintes dos Estados Unidos ouviriam, escutariam essa faixa como algo inédito, no, completamente novo para eles, né? A Jive não queria, e aí isso era uma parte importante da conversa, a Jive não queria colocar nada reaproveitado do próprio Ups como B-side ou bonus track do próprio single Ups, que era uma coisa super comum nos singles, né? Vinha um B-side, uma música inédita, uh, porque eles não queriam entregar muita coisa do que estaria por vir no álbum Upside It Again, para que as pessoas se surpreendessem com a sonoridade dele. James então perguntou sobre como é que se dava a escolha dos B-sides em geral, principalmente lá naquela época do Baby do Ups, e se, em alguma hipótese, pensando essas duas faixas e as diferenças e semelhanças entre elas, Ups, I Did It Again e Deep In My Heart, se eles escolheriam o lado B para o lado A, né? O lado A é Ups e o lado B é Deep In My Heart. Uh, se eles escolheriam o lado B porque o tema da música seria completamente oposto ao que era abordado no lado A. E aí o Steve uh, comentou algumas coisas sobre, né? Mas só dando um exemplo para vocês, Ups fala sobre dúvidas, né? Britney tá paquerando ali, não deu muito certo, o cara se confundiu, achou que, enfim, que ela era a mulher pra ele, mas, no fim, ela só tava no flerte, o cara esperava mais que aquilo e tudo mais. Então, é uma música que traz ali na letra uma certa dúvida. Enquanto Deep in My Heart, meus amores, ela traz o oposto. Britney tá praticamente tatuando o nome do boy, não vamos entrar em criminal agora, mas ela está praticamente tatuando o nome do boy, porque ela está definitivamente correta de que no fundo do coração dela só há uma pessoa, esse boy para o qual ela está cantando a música. Para quem será que ela cantou essa música, né? Steve disse que eles não pensaram muito sobre essa estratégia, essa dicotomia aí nessa época, que haviam outros acertos a serem feitos. Mas com a experiência da Jeve na Europa, eles sabiam que Deep My Heart era de fato uma boa música para lá e que depois talvez eles poderiam reaproveitar nos Estados Unidos. Em outros países, poderiam talvez ficar empolgados com a música num CD físico, já que ela não estava lá no Baby, né? Por isso, ela foi incluída no single, mesmo já estando no, no álbum anterior. Vale lembrar que na Europa, em países como o Japão, a música estava presente em pela segunda vez, né? Porque eles receberam o Baby com a faixa e eles receberam também o Single Dupes com a faixa. Então, they did it again. Gente, se prepara aí, porque o James entrevistou o Steve, foi uma entrevista longa. Ela tá fragmentada, toda fragmentada aqui nesse epi nesses episódios, porque cada episódio fala sobre uma música. Mas, só para vocês terem noção do que, tem, do que está por vir, Uh, James perguntou ao Steve sobre quase todas as faixas e algumas delas vocês nunca nem ouviram falar no nome 
que Britney gravou entre 1997 e 2005. E ele, e, gente, o cara respondeu muita coisa. Então tem bastante entrevista, muita informação inédita, além disso tem curiosidades que não são tão impactantes assim, mas que os fãs das antigas vão curtir e os fãs de novos vão aprender uh, e memórias que estão por vir. Para não perder nada, então, é bom você se certificar por aí, viu? De assinar o podcast e dar umas estrelinhas de avaliação para a gente. Essa avaliação é importante porque mais pessoas, obviamente, vão ouvir esse podcast aqui. E, consequentemente, mais gente vai receber doação. Então, siga o Original Doll no arroba d.original.doll. E siga a gente também, arroba Brasil. Brasil com S, gente, pelo amor de Deus. Eu sou Alan Gabeira e muito obrigado por nos ouvir até aqui. Segue a gente para acompanhar quando sai o próximo episódio. Até breve. <música>